So today we are going to continue with our study in 1 Corinthians. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Specifically, we centered in and, and focused on verses 1 to 7. We looked at it, you may remember, from three perspectives, because it's the love chapter, right? So from three perspectives, we took a look the first portion of preeminence of love. We then carried into the you know, next few verses the practice of love. And then we finished our time out last week with the, the perfect work of love. So today we're going to overlap from verse 4 on to the end, mainly focusing on verses 8 to 13, because I believe this chapter, as we've worked through from chapter 1, is the, 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 the pinnacle, the peak, if you would, in conveying truth and conveying a specific knowledge and something that we need to know. This chapter really um, is the focal point, so to speak, of the title of our series, called out, called up, God's invitation to live and love at a higher level. And I think if you've read 1 Corinthians 13, you realize there is this opportunity to, to whether you want to step it up or whether you, however you want to process that, that imagery, that picture. Um, some years ago, I was hiking with a person and, uh, you know, I thought about this this morning because I, I, you know, learning to live and love at a higher level. And I was thinking about this experience where I was hiking and we were hiking the sand dunes outside of town. And if you've never hiked them, you know, they can be challenging. The best time to hike them is when they're froze because you don't slide back so much. It's not quite as much work or really wet. Well, I'm hiking it with a couple of the guys and this one man in particular. And as we got closer to the top, the wind was coming over the top. So you were getting kind of like sandblasted. And it was a significant wind. But it was only like the last 30 feet. So we had climbed up to this last 30 feet. And as we're just having to bear down, there was three of us. And two of us are just kind of, you'd kind of tip your head a little bit. And you just kind of keep going one step at a time. And you're sliding back three-fourths of a step. And you keep going. I look back at this other guy. He's going side hill. He's just, you know, kind of going off to the right. And I hollered to him, hey, man, we're almost there. He's like, oh, okay. Well, the two of us get to the top, and when you get to the top, you're only getting sandblasted from the knees down because that's where the wind's at. And your view on the other side was amazing. It was worth it to get up to the top and to, to see that other side, but this person just decided that's close enough, close enough. And he, he went off to the right and just kind of stayed at one level and looped down and went back to the rig. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't experience what was just ahead of him. I hiked with him one other time at a, at a place called Teapot. And you may, if you know where Teapot is, outside of town, it's a fun place to pre-hike and stuff. And we're hiking up it. Our kids were there. As we're climbing up it, we're almost to the plateau, you know, where you do have an amazing view of what's called the, the Teapot Valley, the backside, a few miles long, and just amazing, a lot of uh, big game winter in there. But anyway, as I'm almost to the top, I look back, and he's going off the other way. He's side-hilling. And I'm like, I thought, we, we, we've already been through this. And you, get, you hike. I don't, I'm not a like, militant. I'm, I'm just glad to get to the top of the hill and not die. And so I get up there, and I notice, but he, he did the same thing. He just was close enough. My point to these stories is, 
It was a picture of this person's life journey that was close enough. And in reality, he missed out on a lot of things, spiritually as well as physically. Concerning our journey with Jesus, close enough isn't. Closer is better. Can we agree? Can we agree? Closer is better. We can get by just doing certain things, and we can just get by. But ironically, we don't accept that in other areas of life. We perfect our pursuit. We push on further. And so I want to encourage you. Let's, let's go. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to read a prayer. You know, sometimes you may find yourself where you're like, I, I don't know what to pray. I want to encourage you, and you come into those moments where consciously you can't conjure up, any, and you just don't know what to say. I encourage you, go to the prayers of Scripture. Not to, to repeat just as in a sense of cadence, and just, uh, but, but to kind of get a glimpse of what God has preserved scripturally to see what we would do in a sense of principle and even practice. So we find in Ephesians chapter 3, let me get to the right mark here. In Ephesians chapter 3, there's a, a beautiful prayer. I'm going to read through it. We'll project it as well. What I want to do is I want to read through this prayer for exposure and reminder. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray through that in a personalized sense, so to speak. So here's a prayer from Scripture to the church in Ephesus, the believers that were serious about following Jesus, but they were needing to remember to take the next step, to continue on the journey, to stay closer. And we read in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen means so be it. It doesn't mean goodbye. Let's pray. God, as we would consider what you have preserved for us in regards to a relational prayer, a prayer that is because we've received your gift of life. We've been brought into the family. You paid the price that we could never pay. When we put our faith in you, when we trusted in you, when we believed in you, Jesus, for salvation, you brought a born-again life to us. Not just a changed life, but a new life. And so, God, in this new life, we want to be closer to you. We would consider what you say, Lord Jesus, that we would be strengthened with might through your Spirit. You know our struggles and trials. You know the things individually that we go through. You know the world we live in. And you are our strength and our hope, our very present help in time of need. That you, Jesus, that we would recognize that you do take up residence. You abide and dwell within us. And by faith, we want to grow in that understanding. 
anchored and supported, rooted and grounded by love, a love that you give, your love within us. And Lord, help us as we see the signs and the headlines and the various things happening around us. Help us, Lord, that we'd be able to comprehend with one another the magnitude and the majesty, the depth of this love you've extended to us, the love you've placed within us. It's your love, Jesus, which is far better than any information or knowledge that we would come across. God, thank you so much. Ultimately, Lord, we need more of you and less of us. We want to be close to you, so show us what we need to let go of and what we need to take hold of. Show us how to live practically, daily, non-hypocritically, but to live consistently, not because we're perfect, but because you are doing a perfect work in our lives, Lord God, and we're so thankful. And so by faith, we hold on to this truth that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could even ask or imagine. Oh God, where we have a lack of faith, we know you're faithful for you, Lord, cannot stop being yourself. When we are faithless, you remain faithful for you will not stop being yourself. You will not deny yourself. So pour into us more faith. May we be like the Father in speaking to you. Say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. May our dependency upon you grow and grow and grow. May we have a conscious awareness of your presence. May our lives be lived in such a way that we know your strength. We know your forgiveness. We know your hope. Thank you, God. May to you be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. So, spiritually prepared, mentally awake, caffeinated, which go back to 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you are caffeinated. I'm drinking hot water today, just clearing the air about that. Because I've had too much caffeine already. So, All right, hey, let's jump into 1 Corinthians 13. It's short. It's essential. And we're going to read it. I'll just read through it. You can join, follow along. And then we're going to come back after reading through the 13 verses. We're going to look. We're going to begin in verse 4 with the target of uh, finishing up this chapter today for what God has for us. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries... And all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child. 
I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. All right, well, let's turn our attention to verse 4, and we'll uh, begin this particular journey. And we see in verse 4, it's a description of, if you would, some expressions, some examples, some characteristics and qualities of what love is. Love suffers long and is, in kind, and is kind. See, love is an expression. Love is visible. But we see from this verse exclusively and obviously, love is not self-promoting. It's not self-focused. Now, i got to touch on this because we, we did hit it last week and it's so important to, to, to be reminded. The, the Greek language, which is what the language was at the time of Jesus, it was, it was in Greek and then it was transferred to something you can read. Because you've said this maybe, it's all Greek to me. You ever heard that saying? That means I have no clue what it says. That's basically what it says. Somebody who says they know what it means then tells you what it means and you hold that as truth, but they may not know. But anyway, it was transferred to English. And so translating this to English, there were, there were three primary um, Greek words that used to speak of love. But we transfer it, translate it into only one word, love. And you hear that word thrown around a lot in our culture. And it's spoken of in, in many different ways, but you got to go, wait a minute, does that mean the same thing? See, in the Greek, there was eros, E-R-O-S, which is where we get the word erotic. And what's interesting, that Greek word was not translated to English. In other words, there's no place in the New Testament that that word's used. It's never used because, quite honestly, even in that culture, it, it, was, it was too sensual. It was too corrupted within the culture, much like how the word love is used in, in our society and in many aspects. So there was that word for love, and then there's another word, phileia or phileo, and it speaks of brotherly friendship and affection. So here you got in Greek, this speaking of brotherly friendship and affection. You would even maybe call a city after that. Well, what city would it be? Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It speaks of this time of, type of bond and connection among people. But the word we're looking at here in chapter 13, the word that is so important to understand because it's so different, is agape or agapeo. It's a love that loves without changing. Most of our love, relationally, I know we don't like to admit this, but here's the fact, is conditional, correct? It's conditional in your marriage agreement. It's conditional between siblings. It's conditional between parent and child. You want to love, but when that kid's a jerk, you really have to work on what love looks like. Right? Or when that spouse goes rogue, you're like, I want to love them, but I really don't like them. I really, you don't see what I'm talking about? But this is the love that's implanted in you as a Christian with the capacity and the ability and even the desire to love with his agape love. This word has little to do with emotion, it has much to do with self denial for the sake of another. 
We, we see this in its pinnacle so beautifully expressed in John 3.16, correct? For God so agape loved the world that he gave himself. He endured what we're told in Hebrews was the, the, um, almost the shame of the cross. You know, the, the, the hostility. In humility, he chose to go to the cross with you in mind. It's not so he could fix things that got broken. It's because love compelled God to come as a man and go to the cross, regardless of how he would feel about it as a human. He went to the cross for what purpose? To give life to humanity, that people who had lost life, spiritual life, in the Garden of Eden. Alan Redpath, who's a, one of the, I've read a couple of his books, I read his book on 1 Corinthians regularly over the years. He points out that agape is where we get our English word agony, agonizo. Now, you don't usually think of love and agony, well, sometimes. But anyway, for the most part, you don't correlate the two. But it speaks of, and this is when Jesus said we're to love our enemies, he didn't say we're to phileo, phileo. We're to have brotherly love for our enemies. That would be acceptable, correct? All right, I got to be nice to them, but I'm not going to hang out tight with them. They're my enemies. They want to do harm to you. But God has brought this new ability, this new empowerment, this new love to humanity, where he says we're to agonize to love over our enemies. And, and you got to admit, seriously, just be honest. You're in church. Just be honest. Your enemies, it's really hard to sometimes even tolerate them. It's really hard to read about them and how they're maybe gaining ground politically or, or doing something internationally. And it's really hard to go, I love them. I think it's actually more accurate, and even I could say biblical, to say I agonize over them. I'm having a hard time loving them. This is not easy. This is the love. This is what's being told. This is, what, this is what we're reading about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's difficult, agonizing sometimes, to love our enemies. In verse 4 through 6, you can see it's somewhat what we'd say the negative, if you would, uh, what it's not, you know, what love is not. Envy, arrogance, self-promotion, rudeness, provocation, rejoicing in sin, evil thinking are all the opposite of love. Those characteristics and qualities actually show up in the human experience. There's times that you may be rude to someone. There's times that you will be provoked because they did something, you decided it's okay for you to respond a certain way, correct? And, and he's saying this is, this is not the love that you've been given. It's a love that's going to be learned how to live it out, to live and love at a higher level. Because God has invited us, empowered us, enabled us, and I would think, honestly, relationally expected and required of us to love as he has loved, to love in that way. So moving to verse 7, you can see love bears all things. You bear through something, you endure something, because it's difficult. Trials and testing and all these difficulties are an opportunity to prove what you know to be true. 
See, I know the love of God is a love I'm not familiar with without God. I know I can love in a certain way, but it's not the same love. And so how do I learn how to love in this way? It's not emotion. It's not sentiment. It's not a you know, text with a heart after it. How, what, is this, what is it? What does it look like? How is it done? And how does it perfect it? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 3. I mean, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. It's good to understand the process and what the process produces. So not only that, we also glory in struggles, trials, tribulations. Because we realize knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character character, hope, and then hope does not disappoint because the agape love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So here in this portion, we're reminded that to know this love, it will be perfected through trials. You'll be... (laughs) You depend on what will get you by. Agreed? You started your car and you drove it in because you depend on it. It gets you by. So we depend on what gets us by. But what if what gets us by doesn't work? What if the phileo love, this other type of love we're familiar with, isn't helping us? Well, we're not going to switch until we have a trial. We're not going to go look for a new car until that one leaves us hanging. And we're going to go through this difficult, I, don't, I, don't, I really think a purchasing a vehicle is a trial. It, it's one of those, it's like it's too, they're too stinking expensive, they're not reliable enough, and I don't need to continue on because y'all drive one. It's a simple analogy, weak in the sense of value compared to love, but you get it. When we go through trials, they, have, they produce something. You can look back on your own life, and you will agree, I'm confident, that your most difficult times most trying times were the most purifying times concerning your relationship with Jesus Christ. What you went through with other people, what you go through in this world, in this realm, and all its priorities and pressures, those things have an effect. They lead us to Jesus. They cause us to walk closer to him because of the magnitude and the weight of them. Let's journey back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 7, his love bears all things. This conveys the idea that love persists against things that intend to destroy it. Love, when it bears all things, it persists against things that intend to destroy it. The reality in your world today reveals many hate divine love the world you live in i know it's an oversimplification but i'm confident of its accuracy many hate divine love it's a reality in this world you see it unfolding in israel right now there are some people and i'm not i'm not sitting here and going to give you a political rant about you know israel's position and all this i'm just going to give you a biblical perspective God says he loves Israel. God has established 
a little sliver of dirt in the Middle East and says, that one's mine, and these are my people. And now guess what? Since our, in our generation, since 1948, what has been happening in all these nations around it and now globally? We want, they want to eliminate Israel. The arrogance of Western civilization and every other nation that will tell Israel, back off, give them a break, just because your enemies come in on October 7th and try to destroy you with the intention of driving you to the sea, the arrogance of anyone to come to them and say, back off, let them reorganize, let them regroup, stop responding. Why do the Arabs, or why are they so intent on Israel? They want to remove them. There's no negotiation. This isn't diplomacy. This is, we hate Israel. We will chop up their civilians. We will do all this stuff because we hate them. I'm not saying Israel's the most loving people, but you can't back away and say, well, we should tell them what to do now that they've been brutally assaulted. How arrogant is that? Rant over. Okay. There is an effort to eliminate divine love in the world today. It's demonic. James chap in the book of James tells us that this type of quote wisdom is earthly, sensual, and demonic. What do we do about it? Well, let's realize and recognize some things. Disobedience hates obedience. So we're invited to know this love through Jesus Christ. We're invited to that, to know that. But the world we live in, many have said, I don't want to do it that way. I don't want to obey. It's a principle you see in other places, correct? In the workplace. Disobedience hates obedience. You do what your boss asks and the way he asks you, and, and Sammy the slacker doesn't do it, but he wants a bonus. He still wants a check. And then you do it, and you get the check and a bonus, and then he's all mad at you because you're, you know, you, you're the boss's favorite. I did what I was supposed to do. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You're always just doing it. Disobedience hates obedience. Jesus was disliked by the religious establishment. You know that? Why was he disliked in a very practical sense, if you see it? Why? Is it because he did mean things to people? Not at all. The, the religious establishment was actually deeply convicted because he was doing what they would not do. He was loving people and they weren't about to. They had already made their, their, their doctrinal separation, their denominational, so to speak, kind of variances. And they knew where they stood because they were so right they were wrong. Were they, were they upset with him because he didn't follow scripture? That was their problem. They tried to argue how he didn't follow scripture, but they knew he did. And so there's like, oh, this is a dilemma. No, he was disliked because he did the will of the Father. He was obedient and those were, who were disobedient hated him for that. And it still happens today. If you're faithful to God, often those who are wandering or rebelling will not like you. They won't admit it, you know, well, you're just too loving. Sometimes I will. I did actually have that. You're, you're always trying to make it right. You're always Mr. Nice Guy. You're always Mr. Loving. I'm like, excuse me? I don't like you right now. <laughs> I had to work through that. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? Most people won't admit that's the reason. They will usually 
point out flaws, critique your lifestyle, even falsify accusations about you. That's the world you live in right now. They're not going to say, I just, I just had too much love around me. They're not going to say, I prefer hate. No one will say that. But their practical expression of life practices makes it clear their priority is hatred. And even though I say that, it's, it's hard for people to even step. We're li- we live in such a fuzzy society, an emotion-oriented culture, that you just can't say those mean things, Pastor Dan. I'm not being mean. If someone says, how do you get to Boise? And it's like, by way of Bruno. I love you, brother. Have a nice drive. <laughs> oh, you're so nice and so kind. Those were such helpful words. Yeah, I sent you the wrong direction, but I felt good about it. Who cares? You know, if, if things are not right, you need, we need to address them in a way that's clear. And understand, you will be criticized when you obey, when you follow. We're told in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will be rejected and then not received. Disobedience does not like obedience. It's the core of strife and hatred today. It's been that way for a long time. Do you remember Genesis? I know you weren't there. Some of you close, you're old, but not that old. You weren't there, right? But the Bible says specifically in Genesis chapter 4, there's a couple kids, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, their whole issue is actually the beginning of religion, at least Cain's. Cain was disobedient to God. Remember? Cain hated Abel because Abel was obedient to God. Hebrews 12 tells us that Abel presented an offering of faith, whereas Cain did not. Cain had what I call Sinatra syndrome. I did it my way. Guess what? It doesn't work. When we do it our way, I'm going to worship God this way. I'm going to obey God this way. I'm going to do it this way. Well, that's self-worship. That's self-promotion. That's self-love. That's not obedience. And so you remember Cain and Abel. It was the very beginning because see, Cain did. He, he practiced religion. And Abel was practicing relationship, responding. It's the seed, if you would, this disobedience, hating obedience, that produces jealousy, animosity, hatred, and murder. It's alive and thriving in our world today. 1 Corinthians 13, his, la- his love bears up against those who seek to remove it. So don't be discouraged. Love will be rejected. You've probably seen it. But if we continue on to verse 8, love never fails. Love never fails. We will fail. We have to to learn. We have much to learn in regards to walking in obedience, to knowing how to surrender to God. And there's times we just, we will stumble. We We will falter. But love never fails. Love wins always. You see, it says love never fails. Notice it mentions some gifts because in chapter 12, there was this introduction to these these spiritual gifts that are distributed according to God's design and His will for the the benefit of the church, the, the gathering of His people, for His body. 
These gifts were distributed. And then we have chapter 13, which goes into detail of, of the main point of the gifts, love. And it will continue in chapter 14 with more uh, practical uh, instruction on the utilization of the gifts, specifically prophecy and tongues. But notice here it says, love never fails. Whether there are prophecies, they'll fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. So these other gifts will cease to be needed. But love will never cease. There will be a point, you know, in a new heaven and a new earth where prophecy will not have a purpose. Because you'll be in the presence of God. There will be no more sorrow, no more death, no more dying. It's, a, it's in heaven. There will no, not be a need for the gift of knowledge to give explanation and understanding. You'll be there in the presence of God. In verse 9, we're told, we know in part and we prophesy in part, speaking of how we live now. But when that which is complete or perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When we see Jesus face to face in heaven, his love is all you'll need. These other things. And so some people have, I believe, errantly, maybe with not the best of motive, have tried to say that certain gifts are not for today. This is one of their proof texts. But in context, it doesn't fit. Love continues. These other gifts are to be exercised according to God's distribution for His purposes to build up the body of Christ. And they're to be used for His glory. And there'll come a time when they will cease. Then they will not be needed. But what will not cease? What will be present in heaven? What, will be pre what is present today? Agape love. This, this true love. Now it goes on to say in verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So there's an element of maturity and growing. You know, I'm scanning the globe. I'm just checking it out. This is so cool because I'm noticing nobody came today in their adult size onesie. Right? No one's wearing it. Well, it was fine when you were a kid. It's not because you can't buy the size. You know where Amazon's at. They'll bring it to you. You can get one. But as we grow, we realize, okay, I'm maturing. I'm growing. And you see, that's all he's saying. When I was a child, I did things that were appropriate for the age. But now I've learned. And, 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 and understand this. Childlike is good. Childish speaks of not acting according to what you have learned. It's learning something, but then not, not, not applying it, not living it. Childlike, why is it good? Because there's, the Bible speaks of a childlike faith, a confidence in the living God, believing He is who He is, and he, His love is good. And so we're to have that childlike faith, but let us not become childish people, meaning we don't, we don't want to learn from what we've been shown. In verse 12, he continues this picture, this illustration in another form, for now, we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. A, a, a little reminder historically, which makes sense, of course, to you and I. Mirrors in those days were polished silver or polished brass at best. You did not see with clarity and detail, understand? So that picture is like when, when, 
Now you look in this dim, dim mirror. You know, I don't know how the ladies put their makeup on back then. Because they really couldn't see real accurately. Maybe that's why there was such... Anyway, you just think about it. Random thoughts from Dan. Anyway. Do you see? You, you can't see specifically. It's, now we look at a mirror and it's, it's glass with the back in. And it's just amazing what you can see. But then it's dim. It's just not exactly the same. It's not with clarity. For now... You don't have to see everything to choose to grow. Agreed? You don't have to see. That's what he's conveying through this. You know, you, you see this, and you're not seeing everything. And later you will be seen in perfect reflection, perfect you know, expression. You'll know as you're known as the child of God in heaven. But you can still choose to grow. Choose to grow. Learn from yesterday, from last month, from last year. Choose to grow. It's almost too simple, simple to, to make that statement, but it's so essential if we're going to know this love. We've got to be willing to be formed and shaped by the very God dwelling within us as Christ followers, that we will listen and respond and will grow in this knowledge, choose to grow. Aging is automatic, maturity is a choice. It's too simple, but that's the truth, right? I know some older people that have chose to grow. And their life reflects it. And you are related or maybe know some people that are old and obnoxious. Or antagonistic. Or just, you know, don't look at your spouse right now. <laughs> There's just, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's just, they, just, they just chose not to grow. And it's important. It's not, I'm not finger pointing. I'm just saying. We've got to make this choice. I'd like to end the message or get close to the end. I like to drive home a point, so to speak, but not really. And I thought about this, and I chewed on this sentence, and I worked it through more and more. I always do it with the mirror in mind. I'm not going to stand before people and put an emphasis on something that I will not do myself. So here is a heart check. Because most of us really think and, and believe we're, we're loving. I mean, let's face it. We come to church, and we're sitting next to those people. So we're obviously loving and kind. You know, we're, 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 we're not generally, we're, most people don't go, oh, yeah, I'm just a mean person outside of this gathering. We, we know we're learning to love, and so we see ourselves as fairly kind. Here's a heart check that will wreck the excuses of your intellect and rescue your heart from the entanglement of self-love. Say that one more time. Here's a heart check that will wreck the excuses of your intellect and rescue your heart from the entanglement of self-focus. Who do you no longer love? Don't answer it. Just think about it. Who do you no longer love? You once liked them, but because of their politics, or their practices, or their opinions on the hot topics, or perhaps their sin, now you no longer like them. You love them because you're supposed to, but you cannot muster up any good words about them. This agape love, it does something, it's really weird. It actually is a love for sinners. Not so they can continue in the rebellion, but they can be rescued, and it teaches us how to love. 
If you find yourself and you're thinking, oh man, I did not even come to church. I didn't even want to think of that person's name. And now you mention it. And now I can't get it out of my mind. I just should get up and leave right now. Okay, just here's the thing. Reflect on confrontations and conversations. There's three things I always want to look for in my heart. And I convey this to people. When there's confrontation or conversation, here's the first thing. Is it done in love? First question. Is it done in love? You have to think that through. You have to work through your own history or whatever the scenario is. The second thing is, was that conversation, was that engagement, was that thing on Thursday with the family member or whatever it may be, was it according to rule? Not any rule. The top rule, the golden rule, if you would. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Was it done that way? Was it done? So now you're, you see what I'm saying? And we're kind of free ourselves from our own, you know, natural pat on the back and say, oh, I'm a pretty loving person. The last thing, don't let being right lead you away from his love. You can be so right. I have been so right. I did it wrong. I know there's things raising children that I knew I was doing it right, and, and they knew what I was doing. But I was so right, I was wrong. Love wasn't conveyed. Rightness, not righteousness, rightness was conveyed. So there's three things. Is it done in love? Was it according to the golden rule, the way you treat others the way you'd want to be treated? And then third thing, don't let being right lead you away from his love. In the Bible we have, as we've already read, one portion. These letters in the New Testament that were sent by the hand of God to different churches. There's a church at that time in Ephesus. And the letter to the Ephesians reveals that the believers in Ephesus were spirit-filled, dedicated servants, who were willing to live sacrificial lives in service to God. Even the Ephesian elders were told, I believe it's Acts uh, roughly 21, I think. The Ephesian elders met Paul on the island of Miletus for words of instruction and encouragement. And they were reminded to teach the whole counsel of God. I, I think I, I, I see this gathering of people over the years, this community of believers called Calvary Chapel Mountain Home. We're like the believers in Ephesus. We want to grow. We put the word of God first. We want to see transformation taking place. Yet I'm reminded. I'm reminded. Don't be fooled. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 2. This church in Ephesus, a parallel in some of our practices as we seek to love God and surrender to him. But we read in Revelation chapter 2, Beginning in verse 2, speaking to the church of Ephesus. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and then you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. 
that you have left your first love. And if you take the letter to the Ephesians and all the encouragement we get from that, and you and we and I will, will, will go, wait a minute, I want to slow down a little bit here. That church was amazing. And work was amazing thing was taking place. But it appears, according to Scripture, that they made the second thing the main thing, and the main thing wasn't their thing. They didn't abandon it in a sense of total conscious disregard. They wandered from it. They had it, and other things became more important. It says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first agape, that godly love. You can be nice and friendly, but do you love what the love God places within you? What is it? It, it, it can be like, you ever have those moments, like maybe right now? It's like, oh, shut up. Like it's convicting. It's like, oh, man, oh. Don't, don't let that be a burden on your heart that you got to somehow lift. Let it be a realization, a revelation that God says, I love you and I have a love in you and I want you to know how to love with that love so that you too can experience this grace. And so this is a beautiful exhortation. He just says, you know, man, come back. Remember where you were and come back to that. Let's journey right back to 1 Corinthians to close out this study. Specifically, verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the greatest of these, love. Agape, his love. Abide speaks of to stay with, to dwell, to endure, to stand and to not depart from faith or hope or love. The three great pursuits of the Christian life. So, what do I focus on? What is my life focused on? What do I really want more of? Stuff? More assets or opportunities or things to do? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. I've got to work that out on my own. But I'm instructed, invited, empowered to pursue faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Will you stand with me? I have the worship team come up. We are going to close the way we started. If you have your Bible with you and been journeying along, go back to where we were there in Ephesians. In chapter 3, turn your attention to verses 14 to 21. A prayer that we've looked at already, but we have plenty of reason to go back and petition God, re request the principles of this prayer in our lives personally. Because I, I really believe, we, I know we all need more of this. We really are in need of understanding. Let's go back to where we started our time this morning. I'll read through this, but actually I'm going to pray through it. If you, I know it's a little awkward sometimes in a group setting, but if you have your Bible or you're looking at it, just as I'm praying through it, you can be looking at it. You can be kind of staring at it. And I'm going to personalize it because I believe that's why we have the Word of God, because we're to take the promises and let them permeate our lives and transform us in a very personal way. So will you join me? We'll pray, and then the uh, worship team will close out our time together with a worship song um, for His glory. Let's pray together. God, as we stand before you, we learn more and more of our great need 
to know your love. A love you've given, a complete and thorough and total love. Deficient in no manner, this love that came the day we were born again. I have to stop. I know some of you may not have that love yet. You can't have it just because you go to church on occasion. It isn't because you, you read a certain principle. It isn't because you were born into a practice or a religion. That love comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Believing that Jesus is God, that he died for your rebellion, your sins, and that he rose from the dead, conquering death and hell, forgiving you of your sins. He's done it all. Your part is simply to respond with the faith he's given you. You would say even today, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe that you are God and you rose from the dead. I have a lot of questions, but I'm going to hold on to that simple truth that you are God and you offer me forgiveness. I put my faith in you and I trust you to teach me how to live this new life. That I would experience even the promises within this passage. That God, you would grant to each one of us according to the riches of your glory to be strengthened with might through your spirit in our inner man. Oh, Jesus Thank you that you dwell in our hearts through faith. That each one of us being rooted and grounded in your love may be able to grow, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the majesty, the magnitude, the width and length and depth and height to know in a deeper way, to grasp and comprehend this love you have for, for us, Jesus, and the love you'd pour through us. A love that passes knowledge. Oh, God, may we grow. May we be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to you, Jesus, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power you placed within us that is working through us, to you be the glory in the church. Oh, Jesus, thank you forever and ever. So be it. Amen. Amen.